This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook. If you want to know what to do in a coaching session, let's take it to the next level with the Next Level University, Kevin Palmieri, Alan Lazarus, and I'm getting it down as big as Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus. I'm not as dumb as I look. I am, but I am. That's what I am. All right, boys, we got about 25 minutes till I have to do a training. I'm cutting it close, but I know if I can have any clients work enough information into those 25 minutes, it's the two incredible you. So let's make it happen. Next Level University, let's go. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. All the love. All right. First question. You mentioned investing in the jockey in the little preamble here. Not in terms of financial, but what is the best investment in people, places, things, and ideas you have made in your entire life looking back? Oh, there's two. Uh, One's my beach house, uh, which was uh, stimulated from my wife. Uh, we bought it. It was supposedly the top of the market, pre-VRBO, Airbnb, right on the beach in San Diego. We waited three years. We went through two or three other dream houses that fell out of escrow and other peculiar things happened as the universe coincided with the desire that we had, the attention and intention. Uh, but uh, that that investment has been extraordinary. Um, and, you know, uh, for for me, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, the investment I make in uh, the mission would be the, the second when we talk about wh- what it is and the mission to empower over a billion people to be happy, uh, which is a daily investment, which starts with you know my family, then my immediate family, then my local family, then my local community, state community, country community, and world community. And you know that investment that I make is the best investment to empower others, to empower others to be happy. Uh, So one on the financial side, the beach house, and two, the mission itself. Dave, on one of our early coaching calls a while ago, probably a year and a half or so ago, you basically said that what people don't understand is that in order to make $3 billion, they might have to spend $1 billion. Can you go into what what that means for anyone who doesn't understand that, that statement? Yeah, I think more than ever, that's so important to understand because we've never had the ability to build a community. And it costs money, right? I'm a receiver, I believe, in making a lot of money to help a lot of people. Uh, But if there's nobody in your spectrum, if your signal is weak, even if it's clear, even if it's, you know, a, a signal that everyone needs to hear, if you don't have a strong signal, which takes money and know the spectrum of people, it's not going to be uh, as beneficial to you. So you need to spend and invest in the community to educate the community, to motivate the community, to inspire the community. Then you can monetize the community uh, by being able to articulate the value that you provide to exceed what you're asking for to a large enough community to reach that $3 billion. This is completely off of that. What, how do you differentiate? So I know we want to release expectations and outcomes. How do you differentiate between expectations and standards? Yeah, that's so standards are based off of values and daily practices, right? I send, if you see my email there, david at dmelzer.com, I send everyone my value system and the five daily practices. Uh, that is, you know, the one side, the expectations is based off of the law of gravity, the law of Goya, and the law of allowance, 
the law of attraction, in other words. So one, the law of gravity states through those daily practices and values, I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm worthy. What am I doing to interfere with it? Now I set my expectations off of that by utilizing the law of Goya, get off your ass, angle to what you want, meaning those expectations, but utilize mistakes, failures, setbacks, and pain as a propeller to propel us to something better. See, expectations to me have a variable of faith that I know when I set an expectation without attaching my emotions to it, my emotions are set to something bigger and brighter than the expectation. They're set towards faith. See, my emotions go to, I have faith that I'm going to end up set better than I expect. This one critical perspective has allowed me to expand, grow, and accelerate, aggregate what I want, and allow things to happen, knowing that although my expectations aren't met, something better is happening. And so many times when we look backwards at what has happened, they've exceeded our expectations. In the present, very rarely do we feel that hmm. we've ever even met or exceeded expectations. But looking back, it's like, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> Once again, that's why age, I think, is a huge, um, uh, for, for me at least, advantage. Because it allows you to see systematically and repetitively and to have faith. It's a lot easier to have faith when you're older than it is when you're younger because you have data to support faith. Right. Right. Uh, Dave, I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about conscious, subconscious, and unconscious and how if you, it was the manifestation road to revenue one, number 70. And you said, if you have this thing that you want, you have to align your conscious, your subconscious, and your unconscious competency in order to get it. How do you know when that is not aligned? Like, how do you know if what you want? So, for example, with football, you talk about how your unconscious competency wasn't high enough to be in the NFL or whatever it was. How, how do you identify that earlier? And should you identify it earlier? Yeah, I think it's difficult, uh, one, to identify early what your quantum nature is. Uh, and I don't think I think it's irrelevant. You know, I use that example of wanting to be in the NFL, although I didn't make it that that is the closest to my potential uh, that I've ever come right. uh, because I don't have a high potential uh, in the athleticism of football or strength of football or speed of football. But since I was five, I was consistent, persistent in the pursuit of my potential of playing football. And to this day, I think it's the closest I've arrived uh, at reaching my potential. Now, when I got close enough to see what my potential was, I realized that I may want to adjust or re-engineer a pursuit because that wasn't going to feed me enough. It wasn't aligned with my values, personal, experiential, giving and receiving anymore. And so I then took all the skills, the knowledge and desire that I had learned and I applied it to something that quantumly I have much better capability in, like sales, like speaking, like writing, all the other things that you know, believe it or not, my superpower of all these shows I do and TV shows and the podcast, the playbook and the books that I write and the speeches I give and the masterminds that I do, um, you know, the common, you know, denominator of all of those things is that I'm consistent and persistent. I'm probably the most consistent 
from Tony Robbins to Deepak Chopra to Dave Melcher, Jack Canfield, Bob Proctor, go all the way down. I will put up my consistency, which is quantitative, uh, with any of them daily, seven days a week. The consistency now is the quality of my content to the level of those guys. I, I have potential to do that. Uh, but, you know, the wisdom of Bob Proctor and Tony Robbins, you know, Joel Osteen, these performers, you know, are incredible. And I strive, but I think I have potential uh, to get up there, but I beat them with consistency and persistency. I've actually said that behind the scenes, Dave, with Kev of like, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone more consistent and putting in more reps per day than Dave. As a matter of fact, we had a little mini argument about you versus Gary V in the long run. So uh, I know who my money was on. Just saying. <laughs> I, he has a big head start. So I, yeah. I'm leaning towards Kev. Just knowing Spectrum, just knowing spectrum you know, yeah. uh, if Gary stays consistent, it'll be it'll be hard to, to, ca- yeah. to catch up. And uh, you know, and I'm a huge Gary friend and fan, uh, but comparisons to Thief of Joy, like this is a good example. Gary's a milestone for me, right? And just like the NFL was a milestone, some of the milestones I reach and surpass, some right. I never reach. Uh, but I'm not comparing myself in a competition with Gary V. We're different. We have a different spectrum. Right. You know, I, I I will tell you that my spectrum of executive CEOs of you know fortune 500 companies far surpasses gary's audience in that space 19 year old entrepreneurs he kicks my ass right yep dave how important is it to figure out the spectrum that you want to aim for because obviously you want to impact as many people as possible but you kind of have to have a a sweet spot don't you yeah so for me it's a thousand people Right. So my spectrum, although I get subsidiary people, supplementary people, uh, you know, outlier people that have the same frequency of me that is unexpected. For me, my target has been the math of finding a thousand people like Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazarus. And uh, God, I don't know why I stumbled, but I got it. Uh, <laughs> because if I can find a thousand of you guys, I know in your lifetime, you'll empower a thousand to empower a thousand to be happy, to make more money, help more people and have more fun. So for me, it's very specific. And I allow the energy, the frequency that I create and strengthen and clarify in order to gather a spectrum that's far greater than I ever imagined, because my focus still every day is to continually find that first thousand. And it's not an overnight thing, right? I I have to find millions of people to find a thousand people like you that obviously are doing the work to learn what we talk about. I mean, you're bringing up, you know, playbook number 70 uh, manifestation episode. And that means to me, you know, that Kevin and Alan, you know, you guys are the Meltzer thousand that, that I'm counting on, but there's a lot of people that are, you know, not quite as engaged yet, you know, listen once in a while, they enjoy a couple episodes, but you know, I, I still have coaching clients. I work with guys and I'll say something that I think is just like, so Dave Meltzer obvious. And they're like, Oh, I've never heard that before. I should say thank you before I go to bed. And when I wake up and I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, they're not quite to the 1000 level yet. Uh, appreciated and can evolve to that. But you know, my life's mission is to find a thousand people like you guys. Really appreciate that, Dave. So speaking of which you mentioned in a speech recently that self-discipline is counterintuitive. If you remember you saying that, can you go into that and why that is? Yeah, because negative behavior 
works in the favor <laughs> uh, of that. Meaning self-discipline uh, is something that says, I want a positive result. The problem with having positive expectations is they take a long time to become aware. I mean, to, to, to arise itself, right? It takes 90% of the effort till you can become aware of the result. So when you have those positive disciplines that will create the results that you want, we expect them to be immediate, right? but they're not. So it's counterintuitive where the opposite's true with negative behavior, right? When we start drinking or we start eating French fries or potato chips or, you know, whatever else is bad, we have no expectations. It's going to be unhealthy and cause cancer, make us fat, lazy, lethargic, get in our way. And 90% of the way down, all of a sudden we're fat, right? We start seeing yeah. and look, and we think that then after 90% of the positive or negative behavior, right? It takes equal amount to start the other direction again. So it's completely counterintuitive because of acceleration, aggregation, and compound interest of behavior and focus and perception, which is created by discipline. And believe it or not, negative behavior is a lot easier to be disciplined to because it's innate in the ego, uh, you know, to have this need to, to, to do things that are, that are detrimental or create interference to the light. See the ego's purpose is to create interference to the light. It's an important distinction and paradigm shift for you guys to understand, right? If you believe I am healthy, wealthy, worthy, and, and happy, and our paradigm shift is to determine what's creating interference between me and what I already am. Because agreed upon, because I know you guys are Bob Proctor uh, prodigy like me, right? We, we are connected to the most powerful source, right? Bob says, uh, we have enough power in our pinky to light up all of Manhattan, so what are we doing to interfere with that power? And when we take the perspective that the ego is sole purpose to create interference between us and what we already are, we then can create these disciplines that are counterintuitive to get rid of the ego, get rid of the interference, not go get the light, love, and lessons and power that we already have. So is discipline from your perspective the process of getting back aligned? Discipline is the capability of consistently and persistently getting rid of, right, the interference, consistently and persistently clearing the connection of us and what we already are. So when you know you should do something because you've set an intention and paid attention, but yet you don't do it, that's the interference. And or, yeah. or we do something counter counterproductive towards that even worse, right? It's not even not do it. We could utilize our discipline, you know, to smoke pot, right? That, that's worse than just not doing it. So, right. you know, it's one thing not to go to the gym, but to get high all day on our mom's couch and eat potato chips and fall asleep, you know, is activity that's counterproductive. Do you believe, I, I guess, so acceleration you talk about all the time, the counterproductive stuff is really affecting that acceleration and growth like tremendously, right? Yeah. Anything that has the ego, the needs of the ego, the triggers of the ego, anything that will be a catalyst to the primal fears that create the interference absolutely will be a detriment to discipline, which is created by consistent, persistent pursuit. Think about it in the terms of, am I consistently, persistently pursuing something? Then you have discipline. 
if you're not consistently, persistently pursuing something, then you don't have discipline. And it doesn't mean, though, you can consistently, persistently pursue the wrong things or negative things, which will create interference. If you consistently, persistently pursue things to clear the interference, that then is a positive habit, is a positive discipline. How do so, you personally know the difference, Dave, when you're when you're consistently, persistently pursuing something that actually in hindsight was negative or wasn't aligned? So pain, setbacks, failures, mistakes will indicate that you may be clearing uh, the wrong thing, right? Doing the wrong thing. So the if you can learn the lesson, then the light and love are accessible to you. The power is accessible to you. See, each of the lessons we learn is like opening a little door to allow more light in. Every time that we have that door closed, it's interfering with the light. And so we have to consistently try things, persistently try things, pursue things that we may not want or may be missing or maybe other things that other people want for us. But when we find out and learn the lesson, that door's open and more light comes in. Hmm. Alan and I were at an event in Colorado, and I think we both have a new level of awareness and a lot more lessons. What's a lesson, the most recent lesson that you have learned? Well, there's so many. Um, I, I'm The great chain of feeding has been a really interesting one and in its applicability in every aspect of my life. So, you know, most people spend about 80% of their time on the people internally in their life, externally in their life, internally in their business, externally in their business that bleed them or sh don't feed them. Mm -hmm. So I'll use a corporate example for this lesson. You know, it was a big epiphany to me in the great chain of feeding that I was spending 80% of my time on clients that provide 20% of the profit, right? Because look, 80% of the profit comes from 20% of your clients. 80% of the productivity in your company comes from 20% of your employees. I was spending my resources time personally and professionally on the 20%, not on the 80%, not the 20%, not on, right? And it's exact opposite. So I really learned the lesson that, look, you got to feed those people that feed you. If they don't feed you, allow them to fall away. And if they bleed, you fire them, whether they're employees, their relatives, or their consumers, fire them because you want to focus in on the people that are providing the most resources to you. That's where you want to spend your resources because you'll get the exponential result from them. The idea under that is that the squeaky wheels get the grease, right? The ones that are... Exactly. Okay. And so when you say fire them, what you're saying is disconnect and, and then double down on the people that are feeding you and let that proliferate. Yeah. So to clarify too, when I say fire them, I actually mean you know, proactively, you know, fire them. That what you described previously is to allow them to fall away, which is really easy today because there's so much interference, data, whatever. There's so much distraction that, you know, unless someone's completely OCD, it's so easy to allow friends, family, and consumers and clients to fall away mm -hmm. because you have to be so proactive that create that signal targeted towards them in order to communicate that frequency with them, collaborate with them, connect through and to with them, uh, that it's easy to allow people to fall away. But if somebody is bleeding you, that means you have to take proactive measures to fire them. Dave, why? I, I think that's something Alan and I share. We've definitely poured into the 80% who are bleeding us more. Why do you think in retrospect you were doing that? Is that just 
were you rooting for the underdog? Like what was the thought under that? I don't think I had uh, the conscious criteria. It's like investments. You know, I made millions and millions and millions of dollars of investments without knowing my timing and risk tolerance. Right. I've lived my life without taking inventory of my values, knowing my what, my who, my how, prioritizing my now by knowing what's most important to me versus what's urgent and applying my why. So when I started to effectuate the daily practices, which I give to everybody, David at dmeltzer.com, I'm you know, always will do that. Uh, but when I started to, to practice the five daily practice, it became apparent to me, oh my goodness, I'm paying attention to the wrong people, personally and professionally. Why am I wasting this time with this person that doesn't make me feel good? Why am I wasting my time with this client that doesn't listen? Why am I wasting my time with this person that's not profitable? right for me or with me so i started to through daily practices realize who's feeding me and who's bleeding me so i think it's more an awareness of who's feeding and bleeding than anything else so dave i've never asked you this before but i i heard this one time where it's like okay so 20 percent of your daily actions are responsible for 80 percent of the results but what if you took 20 percent of 20 percent, which is four percent and then what if you took 20 percent of four percent which is 0.8%. And what if you put 20% of 0.8%, it's actually 0.16%. So when I come into the studio now, we have a big whiteboard over here. I write Alan's Essentials, uh, 0.16% activities only. And then I write down a bunch. Do you? How do you find what your 0.16% is? Because that's constantly evolving. Right. That's why I have daily practices that I mean, the whole system that I created of every day taking inventory of what I want personally, experientially giving and receiving, who can help me and who I can help. How am I going to get it done by being a student in my calendar with the lens of productivity, accessibility and gratitude, studying what I plan, what I don't have planned and my sleep allow me to prioritize what's most important, the point zero zero one six percent or whatever it is in order to have that activity that's most productive in my life that will feed me the most. And then I can apply my why to that specific activity, evaluate all the interference against that higher frequency and baseline to determine, oh, this is an urgent situation, but is it more important than the 0.16%? Yes or no. If it is, I'll do it now. If not, it goes into a repository to do later. In hindsight, I know we got to go. We actually were supposed to have you off right one now. Minute. We got Third, one minute. Go ahead. Okay. In hindsight, what's the most important project or like, was it writing your book? Like what's the most important thing that accelerated your ability to empower more people? It actually, it actually was free content, right? Providing every day, IG lives, office hours, trainings, all the free stuff, giving away my book, giving away the five daily practices. It's all about what I do for free and then allowing people to ask me to further help them and determine if I can articulate value to exceed what I'm asking for. You see, when you give stuff for free, it's really easy to articulate the value to exceed what you're asking for. From there, you need to create and construct a business model that is providing value greater than what you're asking for. And that's all I've done. But I still concentrate 80% of my effort into giving everything away. Boom. Dave, we missed you. We, we appreciate yeah. this so much. <laughs> uh, the next level university, my next level coaching clients, my next level friends and family, Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazarus, my boys, 
unbelievably prepared every time. If you want to know how to be more interested than interesting, just check out the Next Level University. These two guys are masters, and I'm blessed to have you in my life. Thank you so much, my boys. Thank you, Dave. Thank we love you, Dave. You. Appreciate it.